seven-step feedback framework. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki, and today's episode goes into detail about powerful, effective feedback. There's seven specific components to be exact, and this really helps our feedback conversations to be most impactful for our delivery and on the receiving end for the person that we're sharing with. Marsha Clark is joining me today, and Marsha has spent years crafting this model, and I am grateful to get to learn from her and share her wisdom with you too. Marsha's passion is supporting women on their growth journey, both personal and professional development. She's a best-selling author. Go check out our new book on our website. We'll link that in the show notes. It's called Embracing Your Power. She's also a podcaster, the host of Your Authentic Path to Powerful Leadership. You'll hear meaning and depth all throughout this episode, and especially at the end where she shares what she'd like to see change in the world. She's got a deep mission and a lot of meaning. I love learning from people like her. Let's get to it. Marsha, welcome to Gut Plus Science. How timely. Just yesterday, I was reflecting on a piece of feedback I got in my mid-20s about posture public speaking. I caught myself doing this funny posture yesterday, and it triggered a conversation that I had with my coach. It made me think about how grateful I was for that feedback, and I just sat down to craft a social media post about the power of feedback and how it's truly a gift that keeps giving. This was 15 years ago, and it still stuck with me. So today. We've done some feedback episodes before. I'm really excited to get your inspiration on this, really the passion for feedback that you have. We're going to dive into that. And then I know you have seven steps. So really excited. Marsha, can you kick us off with sharing your personal journey around learning to embrace feedback? So thank you, first of all, Nikki, for having me on the show. And I am a junkie for feedback because I think it makes me better, just like you were speaking about from the standpoint of was a quirky gesture. It took away from my message and was a distraction. And therefore, I'm a better public speaker when I don't do it. And somebody had to see that and tell me about it. And I think that's been the case for me. One, I'm a lifelong learner. And so I'm always trying to learn and I'm always trying to be the best me that I can possibly be. And so feedback can come in the ways that we're speaking, the ways that we look, again, the physical gestures and the nonverbals, as we call them. And it's also about decision points and relationships. Feedback covers such a wide variety of just life in general. So I've been a lifelong learner and therefore a lifelong feedback junkie. And I'd love to hear your take on over your years of working alongside people to see the gift and feedback. What do you think is that transformational point where people start to see it as a gift and an opportunity rather than critical or a challenge. What is that? Well, I think there are two parts to that. I think one, when feedback is truly given to help me develop, to help me be better, so therefore constructive feedback, if you will, with the good intention of supporting me, versus a discharge of anger, or it just didn't go the way I wanted it to, or you totally missed my expectations, 
And it's not with thoughtfulness. It's not with intentionality. It's more about a discharge. And so I think the moment it clicked for me was watching bosses, quite honestly, give feedback at inappropriate times in inappropriate ways. There was nothing good about it. And I've often said we learn as much from the hard negative experiences sometimes, and those stick with us as we do the positive. But what I know is that people get better when they know you are trying to help them get better. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll dig into that just a little bit more when we go into your seven steps with just really the framework and how we as leaders position this the best we can to be a growth opportunity and a positive thing. Before we get there, I'm curious, you know, after many years of embracing feedback yourself, how do you today solicit feedback from others? I work primarily with women. So I've seen this anecdotally for a long time. And that is that we as women want feedback. And yet if we ask for feedback on a regular or frequent basis, we can often be seen as lacking confidence or being needy. And so the way that I work with my clients is to say, at the end of something, whether it be a project, a task, a presentation, a big meeting where you were a part of it, I always encourage them to do their own work, figure out what they did well, figure out what they learned and would do differently the next time and document that for themselves because that's a part of giving ourselves feedback. The other part though is in asking the boss, the client, at the end of one of these projects, something along the lines of, I really thought we did this well. Here's something that I learned and would like to do better in the future. Have I missed anything? Did you see anything that I didn't see? And so it sends several messages. One is that I too can evaluate my own performance. I don't need you to tell me what I did right and what I can do better. And it acknowledges that the other person's input is valued, right? I care about what you think and I want to know and whether I'm deferring to their greater experience, their greater perspective, their greater relationship with the client to know what they would like or not. So it's a way of both presenting the best of yourself as a leader and then also giving the other person an opportunity to provide feedback because that's where it can get the needy and lacking confidence labels. Okay. And Marsha, providing feedback confidently and in a helpful way, it's a muscle. We're always practicing it. We're sharpening it, learning new ways. We're going to learn new things from you today. And even years into doing this practice of providing people with feedback, we flop. We have challenges, right? What was or is your greatest challenge providing feedback to others? I will tell you, there's not a challenge today. What was the challenge in the beginning when I was in my first quote unquote leadership role in the work world? Was I going to hurt their feelings? <laughs> this likability factor or knowing, am I going to do it right? Was the biggest challenge at that point in time. Some of the language that I've learned in order to convey my true thoughts and feelings about giving feedback is I'll often start with, I care about you. I want you to be the best that you can be. And I'm going to provide some thoughts to you right now. And this idea of, can I give you some feedback? I'm kind of against that language because that automatically puts up all the defenses and all the oh no's because of the experiences that so many of us have had. So this is an important conversation and I care about you and I want you to be the best you can be. And so when I speak that intention, I can then say some harder things because they know what my intention is. It's a part of my overarching leadership style of I care about you and I want you to be the best you can be. 
they can hear hard things. The other key message that I send is I'm going to talk to you and not about you. Because that talking to everybody else about what I don't like about what you're doing doesn't do anybody any good. It is eroding the real trust that you're trying to build up in organizational and families and all of that kind of thing. So I'm a believer that providing that kind of feedback with the right intentions, with the right language at the right time is so important that I don't see it as a challenge anymore. I see it as one, my responsibility, and two, something that I'm doing in support of another. Wow. The power of simple things, like some of the words that we use. I was just sharing last week about a difficult conversation that I was nervous about and just thinking, how can we best have this conversation? And I went back to what I know about having an upfront contract. And in the beginning of that meeting, what are we here for? How do we all want to show up? What is the ideal outcome? And laying that foundation helped that conversation go so smooth. And at the end, the final comments I shared, is there anything that the four of us on this call don't feel good about right now? We've got five, seven minutes left. And everyone was like, this is the best outcome I think we could have got to, like check plus. And it was the foundation. And so I love what you're saying about the words we use. And the minute that we're like, hey, I have some feedback for you. What does it do? It puts the other person a little bit like on edge maybe, or gives some things that we don't want to put off versus I love your verbiage. I care about you and I want you to be the best you can be. So can I share a few things? And if I may, just going back to the language and preparation and intention is one thing. I just want to offer up something else for your listeners. And that is that clarity around our expectations on the front end and communicating those. Because I think without those expectations, what am I giving you feedback against? You can't read my mind. You don't automatically know what to do every single time. And where I think the biggest breakdowns in communication and relationships and teams can come is from not knowing the other person's expectation. And if I can tease out just a couple of things, there are three kinds of expectations. The ones I have, I know I have them. They're very conscious to me. I've communicated them to you and we've gotten agreement or alignment on what that looks like in our day in and day out work together. The second is I have them, I know I have them, but I have not shared them with you. So these are the ones that often fall into the common sense category. We're working with people from around the world, very different lives, perhaps different value structures or systems. And so we cannot make those assumptions. So even when I'm sharing what might be considered common sense, I just don't want us to have any breakdown later on. I want us to be clear about this. And then the third kind of expectation are the ones we have that we don't know we have until they're not met. So they're down there somewhere in our unconscious, and then someone doesn't do something we thought they would do. And so that gap shows up, and that's an opportunity to give feedback. But what I often share with my clients is when you find yourself frustrated, confused, disappointed, or even angry ask yourself, what expectation did I have that was not met? And then I have to ask myself again, did I share that expectation? Have we ever talked about that? Or did I just think it was going to magically occur or be known? And so I think so much of feedback goes back to the expectations that we have. I have to know my own and I have to share those with others. That's so good. I know the expectation. I have communicated the expectation and we have agreement. 
I love it. All right. So Marsha, in the vein of feedback being something that you've just found a lot of inspiration and passion for, you created a seven-step feedback framework. Can you give just a little history on how did this come to be? When did you create it? How are you using it? And let's dive into those seven. I've been using this now for about 40 years. When you move into that first managerial or supervisory or leadership role, and you got to learn how to have hard conversations, that sort of thing. So first it was, here's what I thought you should do. Let's talk about what we can learn from this and what we can do going forward. And so it started off with just, here's what you did and here's what you didn't do, and let's make it better. And over the years, I've gotten more clear about what are the things that really help a person know to do better? How can I help them know and see the connections? So it's evolved. I've probably been using it in its current form for about 25 years. But the first step is when you turn in assignments late, when you're not prepared in meetings, whatever it may be. And you want very specifically, here's what I thought you would do. Here's what you did. So you're showing that contrast and you're as specific as you can be. Taking the case of missing deadlines. The project was due on this date. You delivered it on this date. And here's another little phrase I often use is you're looking for trends and patterns when it's big, serious stuff. So a dot is a dot. Two dots is a line. Three dots is a trend. So if you've missed three deadlines, now I'm not going to wait until three to talk to you about it. I'm going to talk to you when you miss the first one, second. But now I'm showing you that there's a trend of missed deadlines because that again lands deeper because I may be working and just running so fast that I didn't even realize I'd missed three. But, you know, as the leader, it's my job to keep up with that kind of thing because I usually have to go be the one to tell you why we're missing the deadline. So that's one is specific behavior. And then the second step is the impact So in the case of, again, using the example of missed deadlines, we had to work the team overtime. That was both an inconvenience to the team as well as perhaps a cost associated with overtime, with penalties in a contract because we missed a deadline. I think the other part is you missing deadlines. And this is the one that I find has some of the largest impact is I don't know if I can trust you when you tell me when you're going to do something and what you're going to do. And then trend-wise, pattern-wise, you're not making that happen. I'm going to question when you tell me you're going to get something done. I'm going to check on you a little bit more because my trust is eroding. And what I have found, Nikki, is that's the one that kind of hits everybody because none of us don't want to believe that we're trustworthy. And yet that is the reality of what happens when people don't do what we think they're going to do. The third step is about feelings. And this is where you can say, I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. We talked last week, if you were going to make this deadline this week and you said yes, and here we are and you didn't. A lot of the human resource departments don't like for leaders to talk about feelings. And yet that is a huge part of who we are as human beings. And it's not you disappointed me or you make me angry. Those are my feelings. Nobody prompts those in me. I have to own my own feelings. So when I say I'm frustrated, it's not you frustrated me. Again, language matters. And then step number four, I call it the help me understand step. So this is the one where you get to tell me what's going on over there. And Nikki, maybe you're saying, well, Bob didn't give me this information in time. So if he missed his deadline to me, how do you expect me to hit my deadline with you? And in that step, the feedback giver needs to sit and listen to the whole story because this is the bottom line of the human existence that says people need to be seen, 
heard and valued. And I'm seeing you, I'm hearing you. I value what you're sharing with me because it's data I may or may not have. And I will tell you, there have been times when I've used feedback where I learned some things in the process. I'll never forget the gentleman who said, well, Marcia, my wife is going through chemotherapy and I promised her that I would be there and it's taken longer than I anticipated. And of course, I don't even know his wife has cancer because it's a very private family thing. Knowing that now I can be a lot smarter in making assignments or managing the expectations of deliverables and so on. So be ready for the things you didn't know. And then you're going to coach that person around. Did Bob know the significance of meeting this deadline? How did you ask him about following up? Did you check with him? That sort of thing. So there's some coaching that can go along with that. And then step number five, and this is a really important step. Whatever you ask the person to do going forward, you can either consider step five as an ask or you consider it as a resetting of expectations. So in this example of missed deadlines, Nikki, going forward, I want you to let me know any time and the minute you think you're going to miss a deadline for whatever reason. So one that is totally within your control. You don't need anything, anybody else to come say to me, Marcia, the July 1st deadline is at risk. So the clarity of your ask or the clarity of your restated or perhaps first stated expectation is what step five is all about. And then step six is where they look you in the eye and saying, can I count on you to let me know the minute you think you're going to miss a deadline? And it's a yes or no question. Now, what I've learned over the years is that you don't need any more time. You don't need any more staff. You don't need any more money to come tell me when you think you're going to miss a deadline. And that's why being very specific and careful about that step number five is so important. And then step number seven is, can I count on you to do this going forward with six? And seven is optional in this way. Do you need anything from me to make this happen? So if it's a more junior employee who it really is the, I didn't know, I've never done this before kind of thing, I want to be there to help them. If it's a person who's got enough experience and enough knowledge and enough wisdom and years on them where it's just been a matter of choice and not a matter of skill, then don't delegate their problems up to me. I'm always here if you need anything. If you have questions about it, let me know. Err on the side of caution. I'll share all of those things as part of step seven. So that's the seven steps. I love it. And I've got a couple of things we can just dig in on for a couple minutes, if you don't mind. Just looking at the power of sharing a specific behavior and knowing that you are giving the example of a dot and a line and really looking for trends. And so looking for specific examples that we can share. But I think it's really important to say, this is not a one-off thing. We've seen a pattern here and we're going to share specific examples of these different scenarios. So at least three different things so that they have a very clear understanding of what we're coming to them with. Sometimes we jump the gun and it's like this one time. And I think that's where employees don't feel connected to their leader and the feedback is not embraced because it feels so micromanaged or nitpicky, right? And so I love that point that you shared. In step three, it reminds me of some things back from my therapy. I used to be a mental health therapist and we would talk a lot about I statements. And I think that's where you're going here on the feelings. It's 
owning how you feel. I feel frustrated. I feel disappointed. So really just always knowing that it's always about how we feel, not putting what they did and really owning that. And I feel like that builds connection when we share those things. Would you agree? I do. I so think it does in that I don't come to work every day figuring out how I can frustrate you or confuse you or disappoint you or anger you and that sort of thing. I mean, it's like, okay, I didn't realize it was that big a deal in some cases. Maybe they're from a culture where everything's late or maybe they're young and you got to put it in perspective. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I think human to human, we care about people. And so we care if we are making them frustrated and we want to be aware that our actions are enabling them to feel that way. So I think there's a connection there, the human connections. I'm curious when you have these discussions, usually about how long of a time frame is this? Is this a five-minute conversation or a 30-minute, an hour? And share some other questions that help dig, especially for people that may not open up as easily. They'll help me understand, might not get there. How much time and how do you really get to the core? I spend time preparing. So it's not just shooting from the hip withholding is the ultimate form of control. And I often describe it as I learned it when I was five years old. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. And that's my way of controlling the situation. So knowing the person on the other side, if they are a person that says, I need to go away and think about this because maybe they're introverted, they're an internal processor, however you want to think about that, then give them that time to do so. And yet don't leave it at that. Say, I understand your need to do that. Let's get together again tomorrow at four o'clock or whatever it may be. So allowing them to have their own process time, even maybe before they say yes to whatever your stated or restated expectation might be. So in step six, they may want to go away and think about it. Your preparation is what's going to either allow them to be open with you and tell you the truth help me understand, well, I don't know what's happening. Well, we got to dig into that. So let's break it down step by step. Where did you know? Where did you figure out? Or when did it dawn on you that you were going to miss this deadline? And so that's helping people through a thought process, a critical thinking process. And the other piece for the givers of feedback. The first time I began using this, I wrote down word for word. And then what I did is I read it out loud about three different times. But what I've found is go ahead and make those notes. And then eventually you'll do it in a bullet form. What I often say to the other person is, I want to make sure I don't miss any points or that we drag this on. We're going to have this conversation. You're going to go improve in these ways. And I hope this is the last conversation like this we ever have to have. But I did make some notes because I want to make sure we cover everything. It sends two messages. One is that I did my homework and I'm not just shooting from the hip. The second is, oh, she has documentation. So the notes part of this is anytime we write anything down, it takes on a whole nother level of seriousness or I better pay attention. She could put those notes in my file, as they say. I think both of those things are important. And pretty soon what you're able to do as you get into the rhythm and the seven steps becomes a part of how you think and work, it just sets up all of the smaller conversations that then can follow or the conversations with others to catch it as early as you can. You know, Marcia, speaking from my experience on both sides of feedback over my journey of getting and giving and sharing regularly to grow our team, all of this is easier when there is a we 
WWE experience between the two parties. Not a me versus you, not a you're this and I'm that. We're a team. We're working towards a shared outcome. So therefore, the feedback is all in an effort because we're both looking to get better. And it's a two-way street, a we thing. If I may build on something you just said. So based on Dr. Patricia Himes' work about, she calls them invisible differences. You could think about it in terms of how do men do it, how do women do it, or the masculine, feminine, however you think about that. But what we as women, we live in what she calls a flat structure. So this idea of a flat structure is we're all in this together. That is a much higher expectation. And we is more important with women than it is with men. So if women live in this flat structure of we're all in this together, it's in contrast to the masculine structure, which is the one up, one down. Think about it in terms of hierarchy. There's a CEO, there's an EVP, an SVP, a VP. I mean, it just goes on and on. And so this idea of I'm your boss, listen up, do what I say, that may work quite honestly well with men. It doesn't work as well with women. Such a good note there. Yes. Thank you for adding that. Well, Marsha, this has just been lovely. Again, I think I wrote down three or four other ideas for uh, follow-up episodes because it's just so rich. So thank you. We're going to take just a quick break. We'll come back to our lightning round, which will just be a really quick conversation to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you and make sure we know how to connect with you after this episode. We'll be right back. Shout out to the Talent Talks podcast by Titus. Show host Jonathan Reynolds, CEO of Titus Talent, brings a unique blend of fun, humor, and passion. Jonathan's vibrant energy shines through the microphone as he engages with every guest live, creating a captivating synergy. Jonathan collaborates with each guest to delve into topics that empower leaders to make optimal hiring and engagement decisions from a people-first lens. You gotta give this podcast a try. Talent Talks. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with Marsha Clark. Such a great conversation about feedback. Loved learning this new framework of the seven steps. Marsha, we have four quick lightning round questions for you. So you just give some quick answers and insights so we can get to know the personal side of you a little bit better. We always start with asking our guests about their favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read, which gets added to our ever-growing recommended reading list. So if you could pick one book, what book would you like to share? Well, you know, I'm an author. So of course I want to say my book, right? <laughs> and I'm also, as I said earlier, a learning junkie. So one of the most impactful recent reads that I have had is a book called Cassandra Speaks. And the subtitle, if you will, is When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes. And of course, doing the work that I do with women, that intrigued me. And there's a quote in there that talks about history isn't what happened. History is who gets to tell the story. And as women, we've often been quieted. And so when we're quieted, we're not getting to share our history or our experience. And this is a book by Elizabeth Lesser, L-E-S-S-E-R. So Cassandra Speaks. And it's an amazing read and it will make you angry and it will make you just frustrated because of the common challenges of how we as women, it is systemic in ways in which we've lost our voice, which is, of course, a lot of the work that I do is helping women find their voice again. I know that that is the first time that that book has been recommended in 300 and some recommendations. So appreciate this new book and it sounds really powerful. Thank you. And Marsha, what is the one thing you would most like to change about the world? One of my hashtags is value women 
and girls. And even in the dedication of my book to my three precious grandchildren, I said, may they live in a world that values women and girls. And I have two granddaughters and one grandson. And it is equal, my wish for each of them, because I think the world needs women at the table. I think they need us in decision-making. I would change the world to be one that values women and girls. Yes. And I know you're really passionate about your audience and serving women and advancing women. And I know you have your book and you have a lot of the work that you do that we'll be sharing in the show notes and linking out so that there hopefully is new conversations that you can tap into Marsha's passion for the work she does. It just shines through. So Marsha, which life lesson did you learn the hard way, but you sure are grateful for? The gift of really digging into who I am, what I stand for, and how I want to show up in the world. I grew up in a world where I was often the first or the only woman in the room. And I know that is still true for a majority of women out there because I've done work with women from over 60 countries. And this idea of fitting in or belonging, to me, that's the question. Fitting in is me conforming to someone else's dictate of who I am or how I need to show up or who I quote unquote should be, because I just want to tell you about my, the word should is could with shame on it. I don't want to should on anybody else and I don't want anybody shooting on me and I don't want to should on myself. So this idea of being clear about who I am and never letting anyone else define you no matter how hard they try, whether it's the media telling you you need to look a certain way, dress a certain way, carry a certain purse, whether it is the idea of just do what I tell you. There's so many ways of limiting. You may need more of this or less of that. And there are some phrases out there like put your lipstick on or put your big girl panties on. I don't like those. I just have to tell you, it's be your best authentic self and be really clear about that and don't let anyone else define you. I love it. So powerful. And I've never heard should is could with shame on it. I will use that again. Thank you so much. That is powerful. All right. So Marsha, before we go, can you share the best way for people to connect with you after the episode today? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as Marsha Clark and I'm checking it multiple times a day. My staff is checking it multiple times a day to make sure. And we can help you with training and development. We can help you with coaching. There's lots of ways. We're here to support you because my tagline and everything I do is here's to women supporting women. I love that. And we will be linking out a number of resources from you and your team and for your book in the show notes and with all the promotions. So thank you so much. Such a rich conversation. Thank you. All right. Here's my truth you can act on from my conversation with Marsha Clark. Number one. Don't use the word feedback. That word, the power of words, we've talked about that so much on this show. And the foundation that we lay or the preface to our conversation can all be rooted from the words we use. So instead of saying the word feedback, Marsha shared that she says, I care about you and I want you to be the best you can be. So I've got a few things that I would love to share. That's just such a cool reframe. Number two, look for trends. A trend is three or more scenarios. So here's this one particular thing, unless it was a big challenge and really needs addressed. We're looking for trends and we want to document specific examples to share with the person during our I care about you conversations very clearly so the person understands the issues clearly and there is no gray space. 
So looking for trends and being very specific with those examples that we've seen in those three trends to be able to give the feedback. And so there's no gray area. Love it. Number three, expectations. There's three parts to clear expectations. Number one, I know the expectation. I do. I have communicated the expectation. And then we together, the other person, we have an agreement together. So expectation setting is so important. And I think in these conversations around feedback, the power of expectations on both sides, and we are coming at this together, so important and valued. And finally, ask powerful questions and listen to find information that might be missing. So we are going to link out to the seven steps that we talked about today. And in one of those, there is a step around help me understand and just listening and digging deep to find some information that might be missing. Maybe a share about their personal home life situation that is causing some challenges and why we've seen trends happening. And it really helps us to be human and collaborate to solve the problem. So with that, such a great episode. Thank you again to Marsha. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.